Sweet. So, uh, all right, everyone. I am. Uh, I'm here with Chris. How do you pronounce your last name? Cullinane. 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 Oh, yeah. Cullinane. Cool. So, um, Chris is. Are you uh, an educator currently? I know you've worked in education, just kind of based on emails we sent back and forth, or. Yeah, not not currently, but I have okay. been a substitute teacher here uh, in Alaska, private tutoring um, as well before that through various things. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so Chris and I have this shared, uh, we're both, well, he's in Anchorage right now, and I was born in Anchorage, so, you know, small, small world, and uh, real quick, I'd actually like to talk a little bit more about Anchorage, because when I went back as an adult, I was surprised by, I mean, things you don't see as a kid are, um, I mean, I went back in February. I don't know why I chose to go back in February because it's still relatively, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a, a relative sausage fest still in February. And like, you know, I mean, that's the thing about the city is there's just is so many, so many men compared to women, which is something yeah. that was shocking to me. Um, I mean, I had a great time, but it was just kind of interesting things you don't, things you don't recognize when you come back to a place like it definitely had uh, a lot more poverty than I ever witnessed and understood mm. really as a kid. I don't know if you, yep. if, if you, re if you kind of um, see that from your perspective now, but that was something that really stood out to me. It was just a lot, you know, re I feel really bad for the native communities, especially because they seem hit the hardest by it. Yeah, no, no, no. And it, it's, it's been eye opening. There's been so many things that I've, I've learned slowly and there's been so many things that I actually had it, it has taken me the time to reflect on them to really realize how powerful they sort of were mm -hmm. and so I had a I had a I had a really a kind of a unique experience I actually I went to um, a kind of standard Christian private elementary school but then I went to Athenium for high school mm -hmm. which unfortunately no longer exists but was um, a really kind of unique school um, with some um, unique access um, to um, a little bit more of Alaska than most kids get to experience from right. the, from a school setting. Totally. Um, so, but I think in particular, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about a lot recently, especially in regards to um, um, natives in Alaska is sort of the the two competing versions of life right because there's there's a version of native life which is actually very healthy um it, it can survive on its own it doesn't really need anything else mm -hmm. and then there's the intermediate zone mm -hmm. and then there's anchorage and it's right. really in the intermediate zone where the chaos happens mm -hmm. um and all sorts of things like you you run into um, alcohol has not been interacting with their genetics in the same way that it has with Western yeah, genetics. Right. For... I mean, real quick, just to uh, yeah. piggyback off that, I remember, because I mean, I had a whole lot of time, I was staying with a family friend, but I kind of had a whole lot of time to just go and a lot of it was just kind of, you know, going to like Diamond Arrow, going to Lucky Wishbone, mm. going to all these places that I remember as a kid. Yeah. And uh, just walking around Anchorage. And I remember one day, um, I was walking past the the mural. There's a big mural with a whale, or a ton of a ton mm. of whales, and there was just kind of it was like two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, and there were um, a lot of native dudes just jamming out. And I remember just stopping, and they were just passing a passing around a, a giant handle of vodka, 
And they were like, hey, man, you want to hang out with us and, and drink? And I said, you know what? I guess, I mean, technically I'm on vacation. So, and this is, you know, prior to COVID, I was willing to yep. share, a, share a drink with strangers. And yeah, I just said, good old know, days. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, it was really, it's not something that, um, yeah, going off of what, of what you were saying is, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty tragic just how something like genetics really can play such a huge role in an entire community's life in that way. Yeah, it's, and, and, and I want to give the other side of that story with mm -hmm. a quick thing on, you know, I, um, I actually had an experience that I was riding my bike to school in the winter when I was younger. Um, and uh, there I uh, saw a dead uh, man in the snow. Um, he, he, he'd gotten pretty cold. Um, he was dead even he was dead when I found him. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, he'd been drinking uh, Listerine because at the time it had uh, alcohol in it. Um, and yeah, there's so so I want to talk about the other side of the story. So there's, totally. there's genetics, and there are huge problems with things like this. And it, alcohol is one version of the story. And we can talk about um, the beautiful American Samoan people right. and what happens with dietary things as right, yeah. from a diet that is very efficient to one that has loads of excess carbs and, and excess sugars. And to just kind of for people to uh, um, get some context, and, and I was actually curious about this the other day too, because I was Googling, I was trying to figure out COVID deaths in relation to um, obesity and just mm. kind of just do my own research. And I was so surprised that the top, I think it was the top 10 or 12, I mean, an overwhelming majority of the of the countries, the top countries who were had the largest obese populations. And I'm talking like 50 percent, 60 percent were these Pacific Islander nations: Fiji, American Samoa, um, Hawaii. A lot of the a lot of the native Hawaiian population is is uh, very overweight. And I didn't actually dig into why that was. So maybe would you like to continue kind of expanding on that a little bit or? For sure, and I'm and I and I'm certainly no expert on this. Yeah, but yeah. It, but 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 the idea that um, our economy is set up to work with some things at scale and some things at not, and that means that the cost effectiveness of certain decisions, when you're back on the consumer end, means that certain cereals and various things that according to nature have always been expensive for us as human beings to get fat right. um, sugar mm. you know these things that we crave at a biological level we've made those cheap and um in the same way that we can talk about the sort of the the relative newness in the mix of genetics this also leads into a way of saying there's a way of there's a way of talking about this as the stories that really bind a community together. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of stories make sense? And so one of the great things about a big, open, huge democracy that believes in the freedom of the individual is that so many stories can be told. So right. many unique and interesting stories. Mm -hmm. On the other side of that, on the other side of that, on the tribal, small, like 
small scale. It's this sort of oneness of the story mm -hmm. that really allows for um, the individuals to live while also surviving. And right. so it's sort of the two sides of this scale. Right. We haven't even solved the hunger problem, but no. we're already running up against the other side. Totally. So we're dealing with a different, we're dealing with a different kind of issue here. And so yeah. the, <sighs> there are so many beautiful things that we could come to learn, understand, just respect and understand if we took the time to really appreciate them from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So one of the, one of the things I like to think about is the, the store, the, the idea of elders um, at the end of their life, if they, if they can't support themselves and they can't um, if they, and they've told all their stories, it's sort of, there's two conditions, right? You can no longer provide for yourself and you've told all the stories. So mm -hmm. you're not leave, you're not with you leaving this, everything gets to continue. Right. So that's sort of the building block for this. So, but one of the things that can happen because of how harsh nature can be is the need for, um, um, the right sacrifice mm -hmm. and the right sacrifice at the right time can mean these elders taking it upon themselves to walk off into the night or onto the ice flow or whatever, mm -hmm. such that the stories and the next, that the next people can survive because it's not their time. But that has to do with this idea of rejoining the great Raven in the sky. And I mean, so many more things that are half mythological, you know, right. in this weird world. Right. Um, but at its core, they're still human beings. They can mm -hmm. still think. They can still, they're, they're, they're making rational decisions. And when you're trying to move from a story that was so simple. Right. Outwards, that has all this sort of like, why would I do that? Why would I, totally. you know? Well, Why would I help this person next door just because they're, you know, puking their guts out or broke or homeless? It, you know, that's just... I mean, through, this, through American history, I mean, there's been this constant, I mean, constant, constant struggle. It's, it's, it's embedded into our history of conf these conflicting stories. And I mean, just think of what like something like manifest, the idea of manifest destiny did to so many different cultures and tribes throughout the country who you know, they, they, this isn't what, they didn't want to cede their land to entire groups of people. And yet at that, you know, there's a moment where two groups of people, and you see, I mean, I saw this in Alaska as, as a kid and just growing up and having native friends too, where there's this, there's this kind of gray area between the old world where everything that your family and the generations of your family before had known to be completely true and still are true in a lot of ways, are confronted with this kind of, this entirely new paradigm of, okay, this is how, this is, you know, this is the new world and you're, you're in it now, you're in our world now. Um, yeah. I mean, you see that too, like in, I know Alaska has a lot of communities, native communities that have chosen to say, okay, look, we are going to, you know, we are far out in the middle of nowhere. These are our rules for our community to preserve these things. Um, mm -hmm. And of course there's, I think that's kind of what I took from what you're saying. It's, it's a luxury to not have to confront, to be in that gray area, really. 
as a human being, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, and that's, it's such a, just in terms of, I mean, people think of like, okay, you think of like Alaska, right? It's a huge landmass. It's not one culture. I mean, it's, it's dozens, if not over 50, 60 different cultures, probably different languages, different creation stories. Um, and those are all at risk of, of dying really as, yep. as yeah. I mean, even the inter-native conflict is still mm -hmm. much more alive today than the sort of lower 48 indigenous peoples sort mm -hmm. of inter-conflict because of, because of how alive our, much of ours is. Mm -hmm. But it still can sort of degrade, and I want to I mention this sort of process as right. a way of talking about how how these things can, can, can sort of happen. So you don't realize as something is getting smaller, ticking down by one, how that could eventually cause a large explosion. Mm -hmm. But all it takes for, so imagine here's one system inside of several systems. It's the school system inside of the um, village system. They can't afford to put a school in every village. Some of the kids have to snow machine in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know. Literally, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of cool thinking about, you know, being seven years old, riding a snow machine to school until you realize that's every day. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not really for everybody. But mm -hmm. what happens is, is one family moves away. Um, um one fa uh, some kids age out not enough kids age back in the system ticks trickles away but what eventually happens is is that particular school loses its minimum threshold number of students and then because of the arbitrary rules of no from some funds. system that's 100 miles away they mm -hmm. lose their funding that right. school disappears then all of those kids now have to travel from further to go to a different school and, they're, and, and they're they are resources it's not like there's a local charter school that's there to fill the void or any other really option in that sense yeah and so it's 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 sort of it's it's so wonderful for all of the sort of things that we ha that we care about in the rest of the country to have a vibrant market which allows for enough um, movement and there's a suspension in it that allows for everything to not be so dramatic. But mm -hmm. because of these systems are at the edge, they're literally at the edge because th that's the school that disappears because there's right. no funding. Right. It's not in Anchorage. Anchorage isn't having these right. problems the people flow is, you know, closer to Anchorage. Right. So it, it trickles until it becomes a stream and then it's, it's too late. You can't right. reverse that many systems. Well, and then of course you have people that are forced then to make a choice. You know, if you, yeah. if hypothetically speaking, you could have a school in a native community that was outside of you know, and I mean, Alaska's huge. I mean, you have communities that are a hundred miles away from the nearest other community and, you know, things have to get flown in literally. So as soon as you, when you lose something like that, or you lose, or it becomes a community full of, you know, 40, 50, 60 year olds and no kids want to stay there or there's no reason to, naturally there's a migration and a flow into bigger cities. And 
you know, there's all sorts of social problems in bigger cities and especially a city like Anchorage where, you know, Anchorage is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I was born there. Um, but even things like the seasonal workflow and how that relates yeah. to, I mean, it's really cold. And during the winter, it's a lot of men who aren't working because their job is suspended basically until it's warm enough. And, you know, and you see this in, in Slavic, like Russia is a great example, huge rates of alcoholism and things like that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a really complicated problem. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure, for sure, not easy to solve at all. No. Um, and I think people should take take a look seriously at how Alaska's PFD works, how how it how it how it how it actually and began. You, PFD for for people who yeah. may not know. So permanent fund dividend. The joke is from the uh, Simpsons, where they drive in and the man at the gate pays him two thousand dollars to let the oil companies rape and pillage the <laughs> land close enough yeah um it 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 starts with the idea that in the alaska state constitution we actually have in there that the resources of alaska belong to alaskans mm -hmm. and what that does is um if the oil companies are going to come in and extract the oil they have to pay us tax because it that's that that thing that they're taking out belongs to us and so mm -hmm. they have to they have to repay us and so this gets put into a large pot, that pot gets invested, the, insur the interest off the investment gets um, uh, basically passed out every year between, can be as low as less than a thousand, maybe 700, mm -hmm. maybe up to $3,000. And is it, remind me again, is it dependent on family size and socioeconomic um, status? So it's, it's, so because of, and this is kind of the back and forth of this because it's the resources of Alaska belong to Alaskans, mm -hmm. it's everyone. If you're a citizen of Alaska, mm -hmm. um, you've been there for a couple years, I think. Um, I can't remember what they actually put it at. They've recently changed it to try and make sure that people aren't like keeping a small property up here and living the rest of their time in California or something like that. Totally. But the idea being that if you're living up here here's the money um every year for the um basically bec because of this pure principle so it's not you, you you have to apply for it but it's not like it's based off of anything it's just if if you got five kids and two adults then you apply for five kids and two adults and you would get that much so. right yeah i know for my family when we were there that was a that was a pretty big incentive um mm -hmm. And I mean, the cost of living when we were there too was so low. It was it was a little bit shocking coming from Alaska down to California. And I mean, it's only gotten worse. So I, I have a qu question regarding just kind of, um, I mean, the state of COVID and politics. And I mean, I'm I'm in probably in the most uh, locked down state. I guess you could say one of the most. Is is it? Like how is how is the the COVID situation um, perceived and being treated? Because one one thing about Alaska that is a def it's a blessing and a curse is people up there are very independent, and mm -hmm. so I'm just curious about what you what your perception is in regards to that whole situation. 
even our lefties are totally. relatively libertarian. And they're like Rand and Paul even lefties. The, <laughs> yeah, and even and the righties aren't nearly as sort of like control everything. So it really is yeah. not it really is not as authoritarian. No. That that all of all of our authoritarian aspects we import via the extra bad ideas that come from basically federal things mm-hmm. onto us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I want to tie this a little bit back to the um, uh, PFD UBI thing, because there's this whole mix. I think what part of what the, so I think the PFD with also, if you look at the native hospital here in Alaska, which basically means that um, natives in Alaska, because of the contracts between, I believe it's between the native corporations, the state, and um, past contracts between the state and indigenous peoples of Alaska, that basically um, they have free medical for everything mm-hmm. with this nice, big, beautiful medical campus that's doing cool stuff. Um, but even with those two things, so many people fall through the cracks. So like we need to be able to look at the entire situation and go, yes, something great happened, at least I think so, in mm-hmm. the um, the native corporations that we have here mm-hmm. in their ability to steward themselves. Now, I'm not saying that they're always picking, you know, protects the natural way. Obviously, Mm -hmm. a lot of their decisions are very modern corporate decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But there has been a relatively good attempt to at least try to have the sort of um, safety net that you would need. But it really shows that just trying to solve it with things like money or yeah money or free health insurance isn't isn't enough it's not thinking about the totality of the solution it's multivariate absolutely i mean i uh i was teaching today and i was talking with my students about the homelessness and we have california's got a pretty big homeless problem um for an multitude of reasons um one of them being that the weather's better than most places so a lot of homeless people congregate here um but you know one of my students today was talking about how he he know he knows a homeless guy who just chooses he just chooses to be homeless and he you know i was kind of pushing him a little bit i was like okay well you know is this he doesn't have he doesn't have a mental health problem. He doesn't have a drug problem. He's like, you know, not to my knowledge, I think he just wanted to check out of society and wanted the freedom to, um, and I think that, of course, there are, you know, my, 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 in my own family, my brother, he has, he has a drug addict, well, he's had a drug addiction problem in the past, and he's been homeless, and um, what is really striking to me is when you get put in the system or you are arrested for something like a drug problem and you have a felon, you have a, you know, you have a felony mark on your record now, or even a misdemeanor, it is almost impossible to get an entry level job in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and especially in a job market that's pretty scarce. And so, you know, naturally, you know, people tend to, um, 
gravitate towards what I would call like hustle kind of side stuff, you know? So mm -hmm. they'll get in touch with a friend who's maybe selling this, or maybe he wants to move, you know, there's a huge, like there is in Alaska, there's a huge weed culture in a lot of ways mm -hmm. down here. And, um, you know, a lot of people just kind of get sucked up in that. And next thing they know, it's like they're making money that, you know, is it's either cash or it's untraceable. And so it's just this, I mean, that's just one tiny aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was just going to say there's there's all sorts of things that that compound onto that. I mean, mm -hmm. it and so I I'm, I'm this is this would be a really big kind of topic break, but there's there's this idea right that we've over the last several decades shifted to nearly an entire entirely consumer economy. Right. Right. And so on top of that, what that means is the jobs that are available out there often have to do with selling stuff. Right. And that immediately puts employers into a bind because almost all of this immediately then puts into a trust issue because you're, mm -hmm. you're putting people in charge of product. Right. Absolutely. There's less, like, there's less skills. There's less trainable skills, I would say. I mean, you, look, if you go back 100 years ago, you know, or 200, I mean, 100, right? The things that are being produced are being produced on machines, you know? Okay, hi, Susie, hi, John, you know, we're gonna teach you how to use this metal lathe to make this product for people to sell in the United States. As that kind of stuff has moved overseas, I mean, as globalization has worked in good ways and negative ways, we're really left with very few, I mean, the, the people who really know the, the skills, really it's digital. I mean, and very few people have that digital literacy that, I mean, you, people like, I'm sure you're familiar with the learn to code type <laughs> thing. I mean, just these kind of like, what are, what are people gonna do when, um, I mean, these types of information, you know, information and digitally based jobs and skills seem ever more important, but I even have friends that are computers, you know, went and got a degree in computer science and even that's oversaturated. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. There's, and then this, and then this is where, I mean, it finally comes back to the idea of education at its core. Right. Because this is about preparation. It's about being, it's about being ready to play the game and understanding that you play that game and it and you don't need to know that it's all going to work but it's going to all work because this game is getting played mm -hmm. it's it's really it is really interesting um so one of the things that's happened to in my mind with education is i break up most i break up human history into three sections mm -hmm essentially before the industrial revolution after the industrial revolution and before um the dropping of the atomic bombs to end world war ii effectively mm -hmm. and then then to now so i have eric weinstein's sort of great nap um period mm -hmm. i have the period that led up to the great nap and then i have basically the rest of human history and could you real quick just dig, get into the great nap what um like how would you how would you sort of define that or summarize it? Yeah, so the great nap is is the idea that it's it is so hard for us to see mm -hmm. because we are little individuals. 
viewing from our little individual time scale. We are seeing a particular slice of the world mm -hmm. at this current moment. We, we, you know, we, we see for, you know, a day every day. And it's kind of like that for 80 years and that's it. Right. But at some level, it's cool that we have these two words, creation and destruction. Mm -hmm. It's good for us to be able to distinguish them. They don't have any real distinction mm -hmm. outside of us. We understand that I could, you know, destroy my phone by breaking it in half, but to the rest of the universe, that's just my ha my phone folded in half. Like right. it's really, it, the, it really hasn't changed that much. At, at, um, at some level, the, sorry. Oh, you're good. At least, um, sorry. Um, I would say like, I mean, going kind of back to the great nap, it's just, it's this like, hmm. Man, I, for, I forget kind of how exactly Eric Weinstein defined it because it was very, in his usual way, sort of, uh, um, yeah, you know, very kind of tongue in cheek a little bit. And I mean, on the yeah. nose, but yeah, it's it, it, it essentially has to do with we could always be at war playing mm -hmm. the game, figuring right. out which country is going to win, figuring out which one of these cells has the right structure to dominate the planet. Mm -hmm. That's not actually a good game if you actually think about it. Gotcha. But that is sort of the game that countries play mm -hmm. if you let them just play. Right. I mean, you hear this kind of a lot. Um, it's it's like sort of, and it, and it's interesting because this kind of comes down to our psychology a little bit. Like, it's kind of just this very standard far left kind of trope where it's like, you know, we don't need. Why do we need to hurt each other, man? You know, what's mm -hmm. the point, man? And in one way, you know, I'm, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a little bit more cynical than, than some people, but, you know, I really want to believe that we're capable of that. I really mm -hmm. want to believe that we're capable of not um, doing things selfishly, but we act in our own self-interest in the moment. I mean, we don't, we don't think about, I mean, look at how World War I started. You know, it was over, yeah. you know, some kind of trivial, uh, in, you know, late 19th or early 19th century treaties that, no one could have foresaw where that was going. No one could have foresaw. I mean, yeah, maybe no one could have actually, have. not like specifically, no one could right. have actually seen like, oh, I think this is going to happen. In right. I mean, people, right. people yeah. were, people were going out those first battles. There were, there were still people, you know, I know the French and the Germans both had, had cavalry, horse cavalry and, you know, plumed helmets and they were dressed in there. You know, it was like, you know, the war of uh, Napoleonic wars all over again. Cause that's just what, mm -hmm they had no idea of the technology that was going to be unleashed. Yeah, and um, everything changed very quickly. Absolutely. And I think things are changing. And I mean, kind of going back to those, how you break things up into three chunks like that, it's, I, I kind of feel like everything is accelerating. It's like we're on a treadmill that just keeps getting faster and faster. Yeah. And, and all we want to do is part of us just kind of wants to get off a little bit. And I think that you see a lot of people in society kind of choosing that option because it's overwhelming like social media is overwhelming um we don't know that i mean we kind of are we witness the power and destructive capability of it every day 
but we don't really, we can't really pull ourselves from it. Um, yeah, it's a very yeah. strange time that we're in historically. Uh, I don't know how any, I don't know how anyone is going to make sense of this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and individuals trying to make sense of things. It's, I mean, it's essentially what we're doing. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's the reason why the country act is acting like it's going crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. You had the, the guy in Pennsylvania shooting those other two guys over snow. Oh, I know that was like, brutal. <laughs> yeah. To, to, to me, it's sort of like, this is, this is, if you were going to diagnose mm -hmm. societal, not, not psychopathy, but just like, Society. The edge is so. Yeah. The edge is so thin. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we really realize. Yeah, I. I want to eat healthy, good food, but I will eat food to survive, until I'm eating things that most, like, if you were put in the situation, right. you would eat things that you wouldn't think. I know Human what you're beings saying. are amazing because we are capable of so much. Right. Sometimes that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Right. But sometimes it's utterly. Yeah. We can survive not on the level of the cockroach, but close. Right. Yeah. And except we have the we have the capabilities of letting things get out of hand, or having technology that that enables us to cause great harm to ourselves without intending yeah yeah we can we, without intention we can we can we can let things slide and we can mess things up without intention mm -hmm. and we can really and we can really not we can pretend to not be until we need to be yeah really well and it really is like having blinders totally um yeah but to to, to kind of collapse that all in back onto education. Mm -hmm. So something that happens at the beginning of the 20th century is um, because of World War I and World War II, uh, Oxford um, removes the uh, Latin um, oral test and switches to a standardized written test. So instead of being asked live questions and having to respond in a different language, um, the test is pre-written. So not only is it not unique, but it's also, um, a, 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 it also doesn't require any, uh, the, the sort of, it's not the same thing. Right. So that's just at one level. There's still mm -hmm. all of the other stuff that education is, but that has also been fused with things like socializing, um, well, basically socializing um, and uh, job training. It, it, we fuse early childhood with socializing. We try to fuse late um, education with um, job training. Mm -hmm. And none of those things are actually education. Right. N none of those are at all education. All of mm -hmm. those things are just facts that you could learn. Right. To me, the key thing that is education is the ability to have the dialectic inside of your inside of yourself for growth. Mm -hmm. Do you have the ability to start somewhere, attempt to figure, like try and answer a question, work your way back, figure out how that's not a good question, work your way forward with a better question. Are you capable of learning for yourself mm -hmm. or do you just keep going up and asking questions and 
right. like getting facts. I think, I think where education fails a lot, um, I mean, actually, it doesn't even fail. It just complete, it almost completely doesn't even address it at all, is <clears throat> strategies for lifelong success. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, one example I like is this idea that, and, and I, I don't want to paint a picture of, of the culture at large, but I do think there is kind of a, a larger thread of kind of victimization in a lot of people these days. Um, right, maybe rightly, rightly so in some circumstances. I mean, it's, it's easy, I guess I would say it's easier to find sympathizers with your whatever um, ailment you may have as a human being. And I think social media exacerbates that. But yeah. I, also, I also think that there's this, there's this idea that if you, if you come into something, and I mean, everyone has probably felt this, I'm sure you did when you, your first day substitute teaching or something like that, where it's like you, it's like imposter syndrome. You know, what am mm -hmm. I doing here? You're anxious, you're nervous. Um, immediately, there's a, I think a lot of people, when they're in a situation like that, they want to um, kind of let their ego drive. They want to say, okay, well, here are my ideas. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's what's going to happen. And what happens is people are going to confront those ideas because you really don't know anything. And instead of by taking an approach that's almost like, maybe not, not know anything, but by taking an approach that's more based on like, okay, I'm a learner, no matter what, I'm going to learn from this situation and I'm going to adapt to this situation, or I'm going to take that advice and take your ego out of it as much as you can. Cause that's, I mean, in terms of lifelong success. Yeah. That yeah. to me is something that I feel is so neglected in school. Just say, look, you're going to fail multiple times. You mm -hmm. need to learn how to deal with it and to have some self-respect for yourself, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. My rant, yeah, my, no, that's no, like no. a boomer rant, but. <laughs> no, 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 you, no, no, no. Because you're, you're, you're exactly right on that front, especially when it comes to things like, like, hey, I'm saying this now on the podcast. I don't mind looking like an idiot on something. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Yeah, like on anything. Right. Everything <laughs> New everything Newton said was wrong. Everything Newton said was wrong. Three laws. That that, that cool thing, like they don't exist. Not in that form. Not really. Like yeah. that. Like he's just a pretentious dickhead who, mm. at the age of like sixteen, got challenged to the problem of. Um, retrograde motion of Venus, I think. I have no I can't idea. remember. I can't remember which <laughs> one it was. Anyway, and and all he and, he and and oh, he had to invent calculus in order to solve the problem. Right. He had to invent his own version of the calculus because he didn't know that Leibniz had done it at the same time. So he had to invent his own version of the calculation, and then write the Principia. Mm -hmm. Like, so on that level, but on the same level, like almost everything he said was stupid, but he challenged something. So right. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm willing to say stupid things because I want to have the conversation to spark the thing because Absolutely. I know I'm not enough. Right. It doesn't no matter how smart someone says I am or like, or how smart I think I am. Mm -hmm. None of that matters. I like, I understand because I understand the dialectic in my head. I understand that, oh, if I keep doing this with other people, mm -hmm. I can keep having these things. And I like, I can do like, even if the sparks, even, even if it only sparks for me in my head, the conversation was worth it for me. Totally. I hope the conversation sparks something for somebody else. Absolutely. It but does. The, yeah. 
And that's why I started yeah. this podcast really was because I was like, I was tired of looking at people and seeing people as abstractions really through mm. social media and COVID. I mean, uh, I'm a pretty social person, pretty extroverted yeah. person. And I would be having these conversations with, um, you know, if I was at a show or, you know, just at having a drink at the bar after work or something like that, you know, and I, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine and what kind of really, what I, what I was just reflecting on before I decided to, to do this was nobody I know, whether or not you would consider them right or left or whatever, has opinions that are easily boxed in to these kind of um, myopic pigeonholes that we kind of force people into these days based on politics yeah. and culture. And, and what we're missing out on is an entire conversation that could be happening um, and things that I may disagree with or you may disagree with, but it, moving the needle forward a little bit because a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. I mean, that's cliche, but it's really true. Like, I mm -hmm. do think, I do think we have a serious problem with how people communicate and deal with each other in this country. Um, I don't see it oh, getting yeah. better unless we, unless we do this kind of thing. For sure, for sure. Um, during my brief time at um, USF Law, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong liberal. Mm -hmm. um, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm way too empathetic. I'm less conscientious than I am open. Like, I'm too set up mm -hmm. for being just too liberal. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was at USF Law, I actually restarted the Federalist Society because it had shut down. Because I fundamentally believed that you couldn't have a law school without both the Federalist Society and um, the uh, Constitutional Law Society, mm -hmm. which which serves which both kind of served as the the Check conservative versus the liberal viewpoint on the law. Totally. But and and I don't even really like the majority of what most of modern politics talks about, even with the words liberal or conservative. Because, it means nothing, really. Yeah, I like with with um, Sagar and Jetty. I don't I don't understand what conservatives are conserving anymore. Right. And right. I don't understand what liberals are trying to protect with their authoritarian bullshit. Right. So both yeah. sides are just <laughs> blowing my mind with their incompetence. Totally. At their basic job. Absolutely. And yeah, so there's, there's, I, um, so I feel incredibly lucky. I went to uh, St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, what did you study? What, uh, so St. John's College only offers one program. Uh -huh. um, there's two campuses, one in Annapolis, one in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, uh, everyone that goes there takes the same program. You don't get to pick your major or your classes. Um, there's about a hundred, it's, it's about 400 students at either campus and it's about a hundred students in the freshman class, maybe a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone, so everyone that goes there takes the same thing you do. And these are all at the same time. So you do four years, history of philosophy, religion, and literature, and that's the main class. Mm -hmm. And then you do four years, history of mathematics, three years, history of science, two years, history of music, just for the first two. Um, you skip science your uh, sophomore year um, and four years of language, ancient Greek and classical French. So you do two years of ancient Greek for the first two years and then two years of classical French for the second two. So the entire freshman year in the one class you're reading um, the Iliad, the Odyssey, a bunch of Plato dialogues, Aristotle, mm -hmm. then 
in your math class, you're reading Euclid's Elements. In science class, you're reading Archimedes. In music class, you're learning to uh, sing Gregorian chant. Hmm. And in the language class, you're learning to read ancient Greek. Wow. You're doing all of that at the same time. If you have a question, or after the seminar classes, which is that first program I talked about, which uh, only has two classes a week, um, um, Monday, Thursday, 7.30 to 9.30 at night. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to have a class then because you've gotten enough time to like read, eat dinner, finish right. all your prep work before and that if class. It's, if it's a seminar class, you just, it's. Yeah. Yeah. These are all, these are all seminar classes. Okay, okay. So the entire schooling program is all, we don't call them professors. We call them tutors. There's either one or two. They sit at the end of the table. Discussion, um, sort of Socratic dialogue based. Yeah they open it and then it's sort of uh you know it's a discussion between the people That's and awesome. the entire program is designed off of you know it's all great books so you're never reading a textbook or anything like that if you're if you're learning calculus you're reading newton mm -hmm. um it's, it's so it's all original works so but the key thing about this is the idea that it's not it's not the actual program that teaches you Mm -hmm. I mean, the program will teach you a bunch of things, but it's interacting with the program that will teach you everything. Right. Okay. Because they've designed a program that no one can accomplish. Mm -hmm. No one, like w one kid I know got uh, a perfect GPA mm -hmm. when he graduated. Um, he happened to be the son of a tutor that taught there, but I mean, the kid literally, I mean, genius, mm -hmm. smart kid, super insightful, um, cares a lot, but you read War and Peace before your over um, summer break before coming back for senior year, and you cover that in two seminars. So that's mm -hmm. four hours, and you're on to the next book. Wow. They don't care. Yeah. At all. You're a pissy little 18 year old. We didn't let you pick <laughs> your major for a reason. We didn't let you pick your classes for a reason. Right. You don't know anything try this mm -hmm. it's hard mm -hmm. all of it's hard but but these are the greatest writers to ever put pen to paper you are going to encounter something in one of these books that is going to terrify you or give you the ultimate question that you need for that point in your life right and we're going to run you through all of this at a rate that allows you to pick it pick it up and play with it but not master it because we're moving on to the next thing. And I think the Socratic, well, go, go ahead, finish, yeah. finish oh, your so, so this And, and it, one other thing that's on that, you get out of that seminar, it's 9.30 at night. Your head is literally buzzing. You've mm -hmm. had a two hour amazing conversation. Right. You immediately then go to the coffee shop where there are sophomores, juniors, and seniors who all have read that creates community and and then who have all taken at least a certain other step so you when talking with them are unlocking ideas for them mm -hmm. because in the great classics it when when you actually look at it at least from my perspective it does work like a conversation right absolutely people try to make all of these individual philosophies their entire own worlds. Mm -hmm. The entire thing works more like a conversation through it's time. It's a story. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I took I took a narrative poetry class. I'm an English major and um okay. I'm gradu I'm actually I'm graduating this May. Um and I go to a state school in California and 
the, I mean, this narrative poetry class is one, it's the hardest English class you could take because you're reading, I mean, we read the Iliad, the Aeneid, um, we read the Odyssey, we read, oh man, the Dante's Inferno, we read, I mean, it just ev all the classics yeah. in a row very, very quickly. And um, yeah, that class had a profound impact on me because really too, the way it was structured is, and I guess, you know, people will kind of, especially in this day and age, will kind of make the, oh, well, these are like Western like texts or something like that, like you're missing out. And I mean, you can't, the reality is you can't, you can't read every amazing book on planet earth. I mean, there are amazing Chinese authors and authors, authors from the continent of Africa who touch along these topics too. But in terms of kind of telling this one cohesive story in, in relating that to moral philosophy, these books do a really good job too, an amazing job. And yeah. it was, it was a similar situation because it's really sparked a conversation in the class, which I thought was so cool. It was very interactive um, because yeah. these are foundational, these are foundational stories to, I mean, you can watch a Disney movie and pick these things out, anything really. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I, and I want to add to something you said, because I, I really think people should branch out and read the great works from other cultures. Totally. Um, the, the one thing I will say, which is back particular to education, just for the, just for the idea of education, is that St. John's only offers the, the, classic, the Western Classics program for the undergrad. Mm -hmm. They have an Eastern and a Western classics program for majors, okay. for, sorry, for master's programs. Um, I, uh, the Western classics program is like a boiled down undergrad program. Mm -hmm. the, those guys actually come to us for help with their homework. It's hilarious. Right. Um, so, um, and the Eastern classics is like the same rate of, as the Western classics one. Mm -hmm. So it's good, but it's not the, it's not as hardcore as the undergrad program. Is. Right. But and so, but what that idea just there is because if you're learning this and you're there at that college, you mm -hmm. probably are under, you are learning about the Western perspective. Mm -hmm. Probably because you are in some way a Westerner mm -hmm. and you should learn about the perspective that built the world that you live in. Absolutely. Then if you're careful, and this is the, the, this is one of the things that annoys me about philosophy in this regard. I think you have to be careful and to really work from the bottom of the structure and really reread Eastern classics the way that I think I, you know, I read the Western classics mm -hmm. um, to sort of understand the conversations that, that happen through the, um, the writers on that side. Mm -hmm. But sure, you can just go read and dabble. But the hard part is just being a Westerner and then just picking up the Tao Te Ching and just being like, oh, you know. I want to I tell, I, I have an experience some, with something similar because, um, I mean, I've always loved to read. And so I, I picked up, I read The Analects by Confucius mm. after, reading, after reading Plato's Republic. So okay. I was going from, I was like, okay, yeah, let's just, you know, I'm kind of imagining in my head all the great philosophers. Let's, let's try and go, let's try and go through it. And um I mean, this was after I was, I mean, I was in my 20s. So I had a decent, I guess you could say, like I was educated enough on like, just through school and stuff on like what you were saying, the foundational, these sort of foundational Western texts, or at least I had a familiarity yeah. with the themes and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, I could not for the life of me make sense of the Analects because 
and then this is kind of what I was getting to with, you know, there's only so many, so many books. And, and one of the reasons why, as a, like you said, as a Westerner, as someone who has, um, I mean, is our country is kind of structured off of enlightenment thinking, which is structured off of, I mean, the, the list goes, yeah. it, it goes down to that level. Yeah. Um, it makes, it was a lot easier to contextualize where I'm at in this society as an American through those Western texts. And it was really fascinating reading the Analects, but um, it's a completely, completely different culture. The way everything is different. I mean, they're human beings. They feel the same emotion as I do. Yeah. Um, and they have families and all this, but the history of China is something people de dedicate their entire lives to studying. I mean, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't wrap my mind around also too. I mean, there was a lot of great wisdom in that book, but just things that we would look at and assume based on kind of this current dialogue that's happening is like problem. Like you could problematize the Western texts because they're old white guys or something, but the amount of like kind of out outward, like, misogyny and bigotry in these ancient Chinese, in this ancient Chinese, I mean, you take it for what it is at the time. And there's a lot yeah. of amazing moral lessons. But again, it was really hard for me to understand fully. Yeah, I really can't take anybody seriously who wants to talk about like, uh, ancient, you know, ancient white men. I know, it doesn't um, make any sense to me. Though, as far as I'm concerned, <sighs> I mean, the Western classics, the great philosophers, the great writers, these these people, which includes many women, just mm -hmm. not that many for, right. for historical, economic, and other reasons. Social reasons. Yeah, social yeah. reasons, mainly. Those those writers wrote better than their genitalia. They Absolutely. wrote better than they could be defined by the genitalia. The these thing, things right. encompass more truths than exist in the gendered human being. Right. So there's no reason to think about them like that. Right. Like it's, as, it's the most, it's, it's like the most, um, and this, I mean, we could get, we could go down this sort of road um, for a minute or, or not, whatever. I mean, it's an endless conversation, but uh, I find it to be the most simplistic form of thinking humanly possible. I find it almost like, to me, it, it almost is like a mental illness to think that just because someone has you know, whatever's between someone's legs um, doesn't mean that they're incapable, they're, they're, that means they're incapable of having an opinion that is related to the human condition or having some insight that's related to our overall human condition. It's, it's, uh, it's incredibly frustrating as if, as if these people, again, too, I mean, we're imagining, um, and I think based on our mutual interests in Eric Weinstein, I know he's kind of touched on this, but we're at this point now where everything is so good that we have to kind of create new problems. And, and, and part of this too is because things like, people often forget that throughout most of human history, and I'm just making a factual statement, not saying it's right or wrong, but you know, the spheres of male and female have been pretty separated in every culture yeah. for the most part. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule, definitely. Um, but to think that somehow we should go back and look at like, Plato's Republic and just look at it through like a a kind of critical theory sort of lens or something like that and miss yeah. all of the moral miss miss all of the uh, um, the really important philosophy and, and all that stuff it just seems like it's like why are we wasting our time doing that 
Yeah, yeah, it really is unfortunate. And mm -hmm. I mean, St. John's College isn't even immune to it. Right. Um, and obviously it shouldn't be because it's a place where, I mean, some of the kids going in there are just, you know, some of the kids go in there just like Satra. Mm -hmm. And some of the kids going in there have never read philosophy before. Right. But it, like of the people that that school can kind of attract. Yeah, I mean, there uh, all sorts of things. You know, there's been some interesting conversations I've had there with, you know, with students saying that, you know, this the, the, this entire program is patriarchal and racist and, you know, friends of mine saying this about the program. I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I it's I understand tr what like what you're trying to say. And there might be I, aspects of real truth to it, too. But sure. But but, but overall, right. If we actually had this conversation, you'd have to understand that some of the greatest physicists in the world were Nazis. Right. <laughs> like, well, I, you're not, you're not going to escape the fact that some of the greatest people in the world and some of these people, like, you, you can't hide this stuff. So yeah. it means being a human being means carrying around. I'm not a, ab absolutely not a perfect person. And um, I am, I'm friends with people and I've got family who th people do things that are, um, I mean, we are not like we exist on a spectrum. We do good things. We do terrible things. We change. Um, you know, the yeah. people, I don't think that people are, are set in yeah. stone, you know? Yeah, um, no, I, uh, the, I mean, the, on the education front and mm -hmm. in the set in stone front, I think people should look at, um, the, the example from the Mino, um, mm -hmm. for, uh, well, one idea, of, one understanding of education, but not the literal one that Socrates talks about, because I don't like that one. The idea yeah. of remembering something from your eternal soul. Right, that's right. just stuff that you should like, if you want to understand how existentialism differs from essentialism, there's a beautiful point. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand the idea that either you take a soul and then mm -hmm. you have the blip in the middle where that's your life, Right. You know, yeah. and your soul's eternal. There's the blip in the middle where you have to like remember stuff because in order to live a life, you had to give up the um, perfect knowledge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's Socrates's idea for this. And that's like so. Me, so in the beginning, Mino, Mino asked Socrates, Socrates, can virtue be taught? And Socrates asked, well, that depends on what you mean by t uh, teaching and what you mean by virtue. Mm -hmm. And eventually, when they get on the discussion of what they mean by teaching. Socrates and Mino find wander onto a slave um, uh, doing something in the sand, and Socrates asks the slave to um, given a square um, uh, in the sand that he draws, and giving the tools of geometry, which are straight edges and compasses, mm -hmm. um, to uh, draw um, uh, a square of um, half the area. Mm -hmm. And the slave tries to draw it through the middle as just like a cross. And then Socrates is like, no, that's a, those are squares a quarter of the area and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then eventually Socrates gives him a hint and then the slave remembers and then draws, basically finds the midpoint of each of the four lines of the square, draws the diagonal lines to collect them together to form a diamond in the middle. And that square is half the area. Hmm. And Socrates points out to Mino that I didn't show him how to do it. He and I didn't give him the information, and you didn't. He didn't get it from it. Like, 
he had to have remembered it from somewhere. That was that moment of like, oh, I understand right. it now. Right. And so Socrates tries to use this disremembrance. But I think the more important thing to learn about education from that is that what Socrates has to do is the slave, even though he's a slave, mm -hmm. thinks he can answer the question correctly three times. And he right. fails all three times. He's like, right. this, try right. this. It's like, no. It wasn't until he admitted to Socrates, I don't like, I, okay, I don't know. I right. thought I knew I didn't know. It wasn't until you admit that you don't know something that you actually are in the position to learn. Absolutely. And this yes. is this dual side of this coin that we're mm -hmm. running up against in this conversation, right? Because there's the right. need, there's the need to be perfect to like, mm -hmm. I can be the thing I can do the job I can, I, I can, I'm better. I'm, I'm not because, you know, I'm not I'm not anything that's below the surface. You know, I'm not going to think about all of the things I would do if I had to. I'm mm -hmm. just going to think about the things that I want to do, right. not the things that I am willing to do if it really took me to do it. Right. So by rejecting the, the root, the darkness, you know, the sort of by rejecting the Jungian shadow, mm -hmm you get this false idea where it's just like, ah, la, 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 everything right. is light. Why are you being a bad person? Like, <laughs> I don't need to change. I'm a good person. Yeah. And then you lose the fundamental. If you don't have the idea of the dialectic mm -hmm. of the thing that like of the thing within your of, of the ability to have the dialectic of change within yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're just the one monopole happiness. I'm good because I am this way. And therefore I don't have to think about right. my You're actions. a caricature in that point almost. Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and you're caricaturing a human being. And I get it. It's mm -hmm. just that it's like, well, and, uh, with, with, no with no responsible adults in the room, it's hard to figure out who's, who we are supposed to model. Yes. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I, through a personal note, um, uh, my parents are relatively old. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a Peterson-esque, there's a Peterson-esque thing that he talks about, which has to do with like um, the lineup between God, Superman, and your father. Mm -hmm. And then there's a point in your life where you realize they're not the same person. Right. And your point in the life where you realize they're nowhere close. That's a that, so, that's an important moment for people because I had that I had that with my parents too where I go oh my god, um, okay you guys didn't start you know and, and mom and dad if you got, if you listen to this of course I love you but you know you guys didn't start saving for retirement until you're in your you know late thirties or um, you you know it, it's this kind of like it's this almost drug-like feeling of realizing that guess what no one is going to pick you up at the end of the day it's your it's your ass really i mean there are people yeah. that love you and people that care about you but it's your ass on the line and you're the one that's in, in charge of it because no one has any idea what they're doing <laughs> no no 100 percent. and that's the thing you have to learn basically when you turn 18 is like right. yeah the game is still there it's mm -hmm. just that all of the people that you thought knew what game they were playing yeah are just winging it and everyone's just winging it, going back so. to education this would never yeah. happen but i always thought this would be a good a good way to deal with college is you're not allowed to enroll in college until you're 20 years old so you graduate from high school and you have to work for two years and hmm. maybe um 
you know, because I, I really do think that, that maybe 3%, maybe, I mean, you could go in some situations, 10% um, of, of 18 year olds really understand what it is they want to pursue and spend that type of money to pursue. It seems like such yeah. a, uh, such a strange thing that we do. And I know for myself, I, I graduated in 2009 and went right into community college. And then uh, I became interested, you know, I worked as a, I played music and eventually did, I toured as, as a musician, which was great. And I worked as a line cook with uh, a ton of crazy Mexican dudes who became some of my best friends. And I learned a lot about just what it means to be like working nine hours a day, five days a week with people who barely speak my language. And um, I mean, those, those types of things almost did more to shape my perspective and my curiosity about what it was, was I actually wanted to do with my life rather than just go from high school into college. You're essentially transporting that social system. It's like, okay, you know, your classes. And I saw this as an adult because I went back and got, I'm getting my degree now at 29. Mm -hmm. I see that with some of the people I have in class where as an English major, it's kind of split where it's most people in a state school that are English majors either want to teach or they're just getting a degree and they have no idea what they want to do. Um, and there are a lot of really brilliant people who I've met who are just, they're, they're just kind of like waiting W A D I N G kind of just like bogged down by this feeling that they need to get this degree to do something. And the reality is we're seniors now that, the only real option is to teach or to sell yourself um, yeah. and learn some other skills. It's a bit, it's a bit much, you know, and, and I don't see that as much with people who chose to go into STEM fields or, I mean, it's a much more process driven approach. It's like, look, you yeah. can either do the math, you can either engineer this thing or you can't. So bye. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. It really is. There's, there's all sorts of ways in which the heuristics of the not too distant past are really failing us. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that every, the idea that every, everybody should become educated. Not everybody needs to pay for a thing called college. Right. It's the idea like, of college that people pay yeah, for. You, you, sh you should be socialized by the time you're you know, you should be as socialized as possible for each stage of your life until you're an adult. Mm -hmm. That should be done through your community, your family, your blah, 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 your this. Mm -hmm. We shove a lot of that into school. It mm -hmm. shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. um, like, but like even trying to pull out like and say, hey, like there's no reason to be paying this kind of money in a lot of these situations for this stuff, just because this is like, this is the thing that we're dealing with on the other side of here. Like mm -hmm. I understand wanting to go learn mm -hmm. like that. I get like, mm -hmm. it's really weird because I understand like when I think about what I actually spent my money on for my college, mm -hmm. it's really weird. Cause I didn't pay for textbooks. I didn't like, the actual stuff that I paid for was the ability to have the conversation in those rooms. Mm -hmm. Like the reading list is online. These right. books are all old. Right. There's, there's nothing special other than getting like being pushed into those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so 
in some ways, education is the hardest thing in the world. Right. And you have to want to learn something, which requires, you know, digging at least a little bit deep inside of yourself, realizing that you don't have something, and then learning how to search outside of yourself to fill in that thing. To, right. To fix the model or to, to add the thing to and it. And to understand who you are as a person, too. I mean, that's... Um... Again, I think that that's, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope because in high school, I mean, it's kind of paradoxical on one, on one level, figuring out how your brain works. Like, you know, I've always, I've always been fascinated by like the big five personality stuff and the Myers-Briggs stuff and all that. So I've had like a general idea and, and just being, trying to be more mindful of like, okay, do I feel energized right now? Do I not? Why is that? I mean, I do think that some people have more of a connection to that side of themselves and others. It's not good or bad. I think it leads me to feel anxious sometimes. So there's that aspect, but um, you know, it's like on one level, figuring out how you learn is so important. And I think that we're looking, I mean, I'm, I am going into a master's program for education science specifically to try and dive into ways in which people learn effectively because so much of, I mean, if you go into any high school class now, you'll see a lot of, I mean, I guess it depends too, but a lot of times the teacher will rely on things like crash course videos on YouTube, um, mm -hmm. these kind of educational videos that, and even podcasts too. Um, you're getting, there's no, we're, we're learning, we're at, the, we're at the forefront of how we can learn best for our society. And I think when you say education is the hardest thing, it really, I mean, there, you know, we understand probably more about the universe in some ways than we do on how to educate a population yeah nationally effectively in a way that isn't super in the pipeline of okay here are national values and blah 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 you don't want that but yeah. you don't want you don't you know where's the structure how do you how do you structure something like that it's hard yeah no 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 it 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 is it is the foundational problem because it is the it is it is the tooling up of the next generation to solve the next generation's problems mm -hmm. and you can't teach it how to solve old problems no matter right. how cost effective it is for you mm -hmm. and at, at at some level education at its core can be simply modeled because it's mm -hmm. the idea of of a of of something approximating a child Mm -hmm. asking a question and interacting with the world in that question until the question becomes better mm -hmm. in some sense until the system gets upgraded right um you know the amount of time we spent forcing kids to think about certain questions to the point that they don't want to be in those classrooms. Like right. I haven't met a single person that doesn't want their question answered on some level mm -hmm. when they really have a question. Right. But I haven't met a single person who enjoyed every minute of school, like right. always enjoyed being sat in front of those classes. Totally. The idea that you're not in charge of mm -hmm. your mind and your time when you're in class and school right. and you're thinking yeah. is so destructive because I mean, and I'm not saying that there, there's not a time for that. Mm -hmm. the, the point of the entire model at St. John's is they never advertised. Hmm. If you were going to go there, you were going to find it. Hmm. And if you needed to go there, we hope you found it. 
they had a 50% graduation rate and they still do. <laughs> they don't care if you don't make it through. Right. It's designed to be hard. Right. Forbes magazine ranked it like the number one most rigorous college in the country 10 years ago or whatever. It, it's designed to be the most difficult and the hardest thing you've ever done in your life mm-hmm. for an 18 year old or for a 40 year old. I, they're right. like, I've, I went to class with some people in the middle of their life and mm-hmm. this, this stuff still like is as painful to them. It is as it is to us. Mm-hmm. But it like, it doesn't matter how hard it is. the interaction with it changes you. Right. And in some way, too, I think Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, it's a it's a it's complex. And, you know, as I think about it, too, with is following along what you're saying, when when you get down to i mean when even thinking about it's like right okay so you enter this environment of this really kind of rigorous and untraditional schooling environment right Mm -hmm. you've got a ton of different things working at the same time you've got a workload you've got a ton of things to read that maybe you're uncomfortable reading or sound alien to you then you have the social the social aspect of having to, I'm, I mean, I assume when you kind of talk about how you that college was structured, you guys sat in like a circle type of thing where you could see yeah, each other. A, essentially right. just a long table, yeah. Totally, and and what that does is that <clears throat> if you don't have anything to say, and if you haven't really done the work, it's obvious. Um, you know, there's this idea that you don't actually join a meeting until you speak. And when you haven't, when it's so easy to get away with not doing the work in uh, an, other types of college environments um, because yeah. the, the, the purpose isn't to actually learn or to challenge yourself for a lot of people. I mean, I think it's subconscious that people don't realize that. They think that, okay, this is just something I have to do or this is something that I am following in my parents' footsteps um, because the word college, yeah, it has existed for whatever, you know, thousands, yeah. thousands of years, but to even think that college now in 2021 for the most part means the same thing as it did 60 or 70 years ago well Mm -hmm. you better pull up all these different data points and really question that um because because it doesn't in a lot of ways and and i think what you're saying about really how we how we how we how we learn to enjoy thinking as individuals within our capabilities and capacities and how we find an interest in something that motivates us to continue pursuing that interest, those two things are almost, that to me is the purpose of education. Like I could, and I'm, I'm student teaching right now, but, um, and I, what I'm doing is student teaching. It's essentially we're creating, um, I work at this, or I'm working with this outdoor, it's an outdoor school that's kind of built around this sustainable model. And so it's teaching kids how to farm, how to homestead, how to build sustainable, um, sustainable buildings that are within code, you know, things that, things like that. And what we're doing is launching a, 
um, like an online news journal. So the incentive is if you're part of this tract and kids can choose, they don't have to, you're not gonna, we don't want kids who aren't interested in that. If you would rather be getting your hands dirty, then you choose to go get your hands dirty because otherwise you're gonna be dicking around while we're trying yeah. to get work done. And that's okay because I've been that kid. Um, but the incentive from the beginning, and we, we, we had our first, it's a 15 week program, we had our first week today, is this idea that, hey, look, you are going to be out in the community immediately. We're publishing our first story next Thursday. You're gonna be writing it with the other group of kids. And this is going to be shared on social media. This is going to be, people are yep. going to react to it. And they're so excited because someone's giving them a little responsibility. You know, it's like yeah. 17 and 18 year olds aren't stupid, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. Exactly. Um, yeah. They're just, it's, it's the lack of, it's a lack of kind of life accumulated wisdom. I guess you could say wisdom really is what yeah. it is. And, and this is, this is peculiar to our generation. This is something that looks like a problem now uh, that like it's been a problem forever, but no, it we hasn't see this version <laughs> of it today because right. of the helicopter parenting. There's mm -hmm. a different version of kids that you get when you have no parenting. And right. we saw that in the first part of the 20th century. Right. So you can, you can like, you can have like, it's just the other side, mm -hmm. these helicopter parent kids who have like, who've never like taken on real, real responsibility. And right. actually done something and accomplished something and improve something. Mm -hmm. I totally, yeah. The I feel so grateful for having gotten to do things. I got uh, a black belt when I was younger and an Eagle Scout. So nice. <laughs> the the ability to have those things. Yeah, it's hard to look at the world from a perspective that really isn't your own, mm -hmm. and it really points out that, like. the student has something that they're interested in, that they're fascinated by. They have something. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that the role of a tutor or a teacher in, in some way, mm -hmm. more like a tutor, the role, if we're actually talking about the role or what their job is, but the role of a tutor in some way is to be able to take the questions and the fascinations that somebody has mm -hmm. and show them how learning something from every aspect of the world improves their ability to answer that question. Right. And it leads to, and again, I think this, you could get into critiques of sort of like modern American society in some ways, but um, this idea that people kind of have a myopic view of what learning and like people usually their motivation for going to school is to make money mm -hmm. so what what ends up happening to a lot of people is you get a degree in something or you learn a skill that will get you some sort of money if you're lucky if you're in the humanities you probably won't but um, <laughs> um and then and then you're kind of left going okay well you know life is a lot more about what what are you going to do with your big paycheck if you're working 50 hours a week at a job you don't enjoy? I mean, that's going to wear you down really long term. I think that there's there needs to be a more kind of holistic approach and go, okay, well, what is something that you could do? What is something you're interested in, right? Like for me coming out of my 20s or coming out of high school, it was music. Like I played music. I wanted to play in bands. I kind of had this delusion that I could be, not a delusion, but it was something I needed to learn. 
um, about the way that the actual industry works. Mm. Um, And I don't regret any of it, even though I didn't really start getting my shit together until I was in my mid twenties. But what it did, that whole process showed me was that there is something that I need in my life, which I need a creative outlet, no matter what, you know, if I would have gone straight to college, I might not have recognized that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I need to be around people who, who sort of think creatively in similar ways because that inspires me. It keeps me, it keeps yeah, me energized. Totally. Yeah. Um, but there's, but there's like this whole, there's, I guess in, in Japanese culture, it's, I think it's called Ikigai, which is this idea that you can, you have, your life is balanced. Your life is complete more or less when you balance your social your the yeah, four the parts four, right the, yep and yeah. i i forget i forget totally what they are you might remember them but um i i think one of them is it, the thing that provides you money the thing that provides you meaning the things mm-hmm. that and it's not just meaning it, it meaning for yourself meaning from your community right. and it has to do with like yeah attempting to complete the whole what is the right. thing that you do that completes the whole picture for you right um and maybe that idea is a little bit uh I don't want to say like not self-helpy. Um, I think maybe human beings are a little bit more complex than that, but I think it's a good place to start, you know, in terms of. It, it's a powerful, like totally, com- like total model. It, Does, makes, it, it makes sense it's not to give people you when add-on they see it. Yeah. Totally. But it's not going to give you a bunch everyone... of playful, but yeah, you can look at it and go, I think I. You, you oh, can that look. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, I mean, really it's like, how do we, um, and again, I mean, the, the problem really with education, the way I look at it is it's sort of like, uh, <laughs> it's trying to climb Mount Everest without any legs and no Sherpa to help carry you up. It's just impossible to deal with at this level because it's, you know, the incentives are, um, and, and everything is driven by, in a large part, the government. And, um, <laughs> and so it's like, where do we start in that? I mean, that's why I'm so stoked to be doing this program. It's because it's outside of like the kind of normal apparatus of education, but um, implementing things like that on a large scale or in communities that don't have, you know, like these native communities we were talking about at the beginning, it's not easy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm just curious about your perspective relating to like, what kind of alternatives do you see to um, the sort of like public school framework that, that we've all sort of, been inundated with and indoctrinated by Hmm. well um for starters i i I think that program really sounds amazing Mm -hmm. um i mean i grew up in the outdoors a lot here up in alaska um i I mean i was uh i started in cub scouts as a tiger and then made it all the way to eagle so i did the entire thing nice um even santa fe so one of the peculiar things about santa fe and the the colleges is that you know it's a quite a heady place. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of partying. I mean, it's a wild place. I mean, it's philosophy students. These kids are asking questions on the edge of reality, and they really right. like to go there. Kind of live at the edge of reality too. Yeah, they, and they really, and they really, and they really do. But yeah. um, and so, um, to on some, I mean, they. They have, I mean, so it, it, it can be weird. They they have fun, but it's weird. The gym is a place that not that, you won't find most Johnnies going to the gym. Sorry, hmm. we call people who went to St. John's College Johnnies. Johnnies. 
yeah, you won't find that many. I mean, it's changed nowadays a little bit, mm-hmm. but it really was a, a different place, especially a while ago. Like, it, it was a place where, you know, there'd be ashtrays in all the classrooms and the people just sitting there reading, you know, reading the books, smoking <laughs> yeah, cigarettes. Yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it had a, it had a thing to it, but there's this idea that, you know, even philosophers get stuck in, which is that, that their body is tr- uh, a, pl- a a vessel for their, to carry their mind around. Mm-hmm. And if that's another breaking of one of these two-part system that really just, you know, throws the baby out with the bathwater and really you can destroy your body just mm-hmm. by thinking like that for not very long, if you're totally. not careful. Right. And so the idea that education, like we've, so we've talked a little bit about some of the things that have, that have, that have been with us forever, for the most part with our education, socializing and all that stuff, all mm-hmm. that stuff should happen. Mm-hmm. But education should really be about getting those students in new and unique experiences where they're interacting with the world and the environment around them mm-hmm. and getting like there is no reason to be in a classroom every day no there is no reason to do the majority of what we do especially when it comes to just the goal of education of just getting students to become lifelong learners which is providing them with the tools for really understanding how to work the machine in their head Mm mm-hmm really giving them the, hey, we're, we're going to work with you through your childhood so right. that at some point you can, you can get this stuff, you can answer this for yourself instead of this system that just pumps out these just half-baked kids that have to go learn how to write an English sentence, right. you know, because they made it to college and mm-hmm. the college professor is like this, like most of my students can't write a real paper. Right. Um, well, you know, and, and it's yeah. and something that, you know, that it's, that gets beat to death, but it's very true is, is this like trope that like, oh, well, when, when am I going to need to use this in the real world? And, and it's true in a lot of sense where it's, um, you know, I'm, math is hard for me. You know, I'm much more verbally inclined. I mean, that's kind of one area that I am proficient in. And, you know, I've learned to do math as I've needed to, when I have yeah. to, <laughs> when I'm confronted with, um, you know, it's like I'm my day job. I'm a bartender. So I have to do math every day. Very simple math, but I have to do math. You know, I have to balance my books. Um, I feel confident that I can learn how to do certain types of math as it relates to what I get into in life. But being in a math class as a teenager was a nightmare for me because I didn't understand the concepts. And once you, for, once you lose the first or second concept, you can't, yeah. and the teacher is unwilling or and, and this is something I want to touch on too and get your take on because totally, um, you know, once, once you're behind, you're behind. And once you, once you've kind of got, if you're 16 and like I was, you kind of just had this like mentality of like, fuck it, I'm not going to try. I'm going to copy. I'm going to do what I can to get through. Um, and so I didn't learn much in my math classes and, and something too, that I kind of going, going into this is I don't want to blame the teachers for it but they had large classes and a lot of kids. And at the end of the day, they just didn't have the energy or stamina. And we were inside. I mean, you're a boy going through puberty at 15 or 16 years old. You don't want to be stuck in a class all day. Like how much does, I just, it's frustrating that the environment of teaching 
and the types of people that become teachers are never, they never seem to be factors in that, you know, people look at test results and they don't ever think, oh, wow, well, maybe if our standardized testing was really, you know, we gave kids a chance to, to run around or do this, or we had different teachers, maybe that would go up. You know, it's never, it's never that. Yeah, no, no, no. They, because of, because of the kinds of questions that that system asks, they are never going to be able to solve the real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, their questions don't actually allow for any, for them to even go in the right direction. So it's, 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 it's sort of like um, the journey of a thousand steps uh, of a thousand miles does start with a single step, but that does actually need to be in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to do that. So no. one, one of the biggest problems here is that we invented a thing called teenagers. Right. <laughs> and we said also go sit in a classroom and get educated because we're not ready for you yet. Yeah. And so there is a weird, there are multiple things going on here. Mm-hmm. The workplace now requires more education. So you need to be slightly older. Right. We have far fewer labor jobs. Mm-hmm. So we need fewer young males. Right. You know, to go die in machine, like machine shots. Totally. You know, yeah. The young, the young males. In, that... in case, yeah. If, if you want to look, go look up something. Go look up uh, um, ironwork accidents in China. Just okay. go look up. <laughs> I'm writing it down right now. This isn't a good thing to go look up, but. Well, you know, I've, the... I've spent my fair share, my fair share of time on on live leak and stuff. So. <laughs> the the idea that you can work with hot iron on such a un, in such unsafe ways because you have so many humans that the right. price of labor is so cheap it it, it does really say something um mm. so the system like if we're talking about systems of perf- pressures that are selecting for that are selecting for these things mm-hmm. it 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 really is something terrible where just on the other side of this is essentially so one uh the one of the things that really get gets me uh so i was actually so when i was a substitute teacher um mm-hmm. math science were like my favorite subjects for substitute teaching um i would uh my fa- my favorite things to substitute teach were like uh, ap calc or ap stats maybe ap chem um but a couple of times I got to sub for a teacher that had a pretty broad range of classes. So she mm-hmm. had um, an algebra like one or AB retake class. Mm-hmm. And then she had a pre-calc class. And the pre-calc class had a lot of smart students and a lot of students who really knew how to use Wolfram Alpha and really didn't understand the mathematics that they were claiming to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, one of the things I found the most interesting was the algebra, one of the algebraic classes where um, maybe eight students in the total class, all of them too old for being in this math, um, all stuff like um, a couple uh, those that weren't too old basically spoke no English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would have to translate into Spanish to even just help them with some stuff. But the hardest part was the re there were it was basically just six black students mm-hmm. 
Now, I should say Anchorage is a very diverse. I mean, you 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 know this. Yeah. An, the Anchorage school school system is very diverse. Right. We have we have the most diverse uh, elementary, middle schools, and high schools in the country. Also, should be noted too for people that are listening or or were, are going to listen. Like something that always shocks people is saying, "Yeah, I had a lot of like I knew a lot of Japanese kids when I lived in Anchorage. I knew a lot of yeah. Asian kids when I lived in Anchorage. I mean, it really is a melting pot." Oh, for sure, for sure, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. I uh. Lots of people, when I, as I've been to other parts of the country, I've been like, well, where are the Asian supermarkets? Right. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, and I'm just like, you know, I grew up where in Anchorage, that, where, where, the, where all the Asian supermarkets are. Yeah, a- Anchorage has wonderful Asian supermarkets, and yeah. they're all over because we have a thriving, um, a thriving essentially population because you can reach a, an amazing part of the globe, actually, mm-hmm. within about seven hours of flight from Anchorage, so which is why FedEx here. Anyway, which is why I'm here. Anyway, um, I'm here because FedEx is here. Because um, my dad used to fly. Anyway, gotcha. so the, um, the students, um, I mean, the idea that you laugh and snicker at each other when you make a mistake, when, when, when I'm trying to help one person, or like, the idea that you're so focused on somebody else at its core, that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Why, if, why are you listening to me help somebody else do math and like help this person on their math thing? You should be finishing your thing. I had different problems when I was in, well, when I was in middle school with math, I would, I would not do my homework, open up the, at the, like at the very start of class, open up the book, write down the 15 answers from the back, open up the book. And before I had to turn in my math homework from that day, I would go through and do the other 15 questions and just as like fast as I could. I've always Mm -hmm. loved math. So I'd be like, and done, never doing my homework ever. (laughs) Just like, I would just keep doing that every day. She would watch me. (laughs) <laughs> the teacher would watch because we all know that we'd be turning in the homework in five minutes and I would right. just get it done and be like, yes. Oh, that's amazing. So, and I never cared about what anybody else was doing, but, mm. but as soon as I was done, I was going to be the class clown. Right. So, but there's something painful at the bottom of that, which is there's a lot of painful lessons to be learned about the ability for human beings to find a little bit, you know, to dig at each other when they're all down in the bottom of this same hole. You're all in the same pit. You're all in the same retake class. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be laughing at each other. Right. You should be helping and caring about each other because I care right. about you guys. Right. But the the power, the social structure that gets built up by the time you get to high school, mm-hmm. that's that to me is the reason that I get on a thing about the mix between the mix of socializing in school because mm-hmm. we socialize them in school the rules are go to the teacher or like the teacher handles things you know the kids aren't handling things mm-hmm. you know it it should be about and this ties into one of the things that i think you pointed out which is probably one of the most important things that we don't talk about which is the power of Older generations, it used to be way easier as a child in older generations to figure out who you were Mm -hmm. because you could find a quiet place. Right. Now, even if you can find a quiet place, I guarantee you, you have your phone with you. Right. Which means you're not figuring out who you are. You're Mm -hmm. figuring out who you are in relation to everybody else. Who you think you are, who you want to be. You're being confronted with... um, with a lot of, I mean, God forbid you 
you know, it's like if you're, and it just happens. I mean, there are really unattractive people. And if you're a kid growing up and you're an unattractive person or you have some flaw or perceived flaw in yourself, think about what social media does. I mean, I'm not familiar. I'm not sure if you've read uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite books. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I've gifted it to so many people. But oh, the, yeah, I've given that one away a couple times. The, that the, one's yeah. the data that just shows how I mean, like teenage suicide rates are are spiking at an insane rate, um, and it, and it does. I mean, the socialization, like what you're saying, is really in an in person. It's a it's a type of like dance that we have to do as human beings. It's not. It's not always clean it can be awkward it can be clumsy but it's getting to know you like we're doing right now it's like i i haven't had this conversation with you before we're just doing it on the spot it's fun but you know and and that's kind of goes back to my point of before you go off to college having to interact having to get a job or do something that forces you to interact and deal with people on a level of you know it was it was a long time before i ever had a relationship with a like I had my friends and I had people at school, but when I, when I started working, I had friends at work that also depended on me to do my job. You know, yeah. I had friends and working as a line cook, which is, I mean, uh, everyone is usually on some sort of drug or, I mean, you know, <laughs> yep. it's a, it's a fast paced and, you know, kind of shitty job, but you know, good one. I'm grateful I had it, but I had friends that I worked with who, would come in so hungover that they couldn't work and I would just have to be like dude you have got to either get the fuck out of this room right now and go home so I can deal with this and get someone in or you've got to get it together and that type of socialization where you're actually depending on each other for something or for learning you know I mean yeah. it's it's school it's it's like the higher and I mean you can look at you know you can look at people that you went to high school with and people change so much after high school, you know, like I've, I've, I've had interactions with people like that. I thought were like very, you know, like like big assholes in high school. And and we've actually sat down, you know, I saw saw them at a bar or whatever, and we are talking and it's like, we totally hash it out. You know, it's like, Hey, this is who I was in high school. Like I'm different now, but I guess what I'm trying to get to is there's a type of socialization that happens in high school that's based purely on uh, factors in your life that will not matter at some point for the most part. And the socialization that happens when you're an adult is much different. It's about establishing relationships that are, I mean, I don't care who anyone is in high school as an adult. I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm interested in who you are now um, and what, what our relationship can, can bring forth into the world, you know? Um, Totally. Yeah, no, no, no. And you're totally right there because because the socializing in the school fails in a certain way, mm-hmm. you have to re-socialize yourself in a workforce. That's like that's yeah. that's like a that's a problem of this the, the way this is this is working. Because totally. when I because when I was thinking about socialize when I think about socializing in that way, I really only think about the good like the good one. Mm-hmm. The the one that it sh- that should happen. Right. And then there's all of these little these all of these little bits of it that we pick up in these various things that we partake in as children and, and then growing up that sort of give us this thing where we're always where you know it pushes us in this direction through high school where you know 
it could we could you know relate to some with people around us and then become exactly like one of those 12 people or we could be pushed from all the groups and become like none of them while really becoming exactly like them. so okay. it's not like you're it's not like it's a real difference you know mm -hmm. it's just it you can get pushed but the problem is, is that neither of those are real because right. neither of them were honest <laughs> to what you were. They were just totally. your reaction to the rest of the world. Absolutely. Which, which matters in high school because, you know, and, and, and something, again, I'm going to go back to this program for a second, but these kids, I mean, generally, like I'm in a pretty liberal area of California up in the woods and, you know, all these kids are probably, I would say, share similar political beliefs, but they're all very different too, in some ways. And um, like, they're all kind of like, hippie-ish kid. I mean, they're willing to, they're open enough to try out this program, you know? Yeah. But when it comes to the actual, um, when it comes to actually like, let's say, you know, building or, you know, timber framing something, it's like they have to work together and make sure the other person is like holding the square right and making sure the joist is set correctly. And, yeah. and these type of things build, even the kids that, that are, um, because of course, there's always going to be, I mean, it's, they're teenagers, they're awkward, they're funny, and goofy, there's always going to be some sort of like, level of that in some degree, but they're all I mean, I've never yeah. been around a group of 20 or so kids who just gets it and can work together like that. And I think it's because yeah. they can actually see it's like they're learning math in the process of building things that they can see and use with their hands, you know, I just think it's like, yeah, it's yeah. such a, anyway. Yeah, no, no, no. The ability for somebody to like actually, like, if if we're talking about learning, and mm -hmm. we really mean learning instead of downloading, which is really what, it's really what it looks like the way that when most people describe to me at least, mm -hmm. is it's not really learning. It's just like you didn't have those facts, and now that you can, now you claim to have those facts. Right. It's not like I could put you in a situation, and you could sort of, through careful questioning, understand what was around you. You would have to go somewhere and ask somebody the questions. Mm -hmm. And so, the idea that, like, no, all well, yeah, none of the, you're never going to get a group of perfect kids. But in that interaction, hopefully those kids will come closer together, especially when it's not a social thing. If it's actually solving a problem, if mm -hmm. it takes all of them to come together to solve one problem, that's mm -hmm. the ultimate. Because then everybody will have eff effectively been forced to at least learn something. And even the, but, and it even mitigates problems in the, in, the, in the dynamics of teenagers where it's like, if you're trying to impress some girl in your class who is require is who is working on this project of building this thing with you what are you are you going to goof off like you would normally or or try and you know i mean i think it comes down to that level in some way too where it's like yeah, oh, yeah, totally. actually you're actually more willing to do the work when there's a uh, <laughs> when there's the incentive there you know and, um, and the test is real right yeah remember and that, yeah. that gets back to what what uh, the idea of they used to have those Latin tests. Those used to be live mm -hmm. in front of your classmates. Right. Oof. So, I mean, at St. John's College, one there's two other things. There's uh, the, um, after every semester, you have a Don Rag, which is a 20 minute long meeting where for the first 15 minutes, your five tutors sit at the other end of the table talking about you in the third person like you're not there. Oh, about man. About anything that having to do with your academic career. 
So they're basically having a conversation amongst themselves about you. And Jeez. then you get five minutes to the end to say, yes, that's absolutely right. I'll work harder, yada, 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 yeah. yada, you know, whatever you need to do. And then basically if two of them ever say, we think you need to take some time off. They'll basically request that you take a year off. You'll have to take a year off, write a letter to get back into the school. It's a whole thing. Wow. There's even a special one between your sophomore and junior year called the enabling, um, which includes the one of the big papers that you write. Because remember, you don't take tests. The, basically, the only real assignments that you ever turn in are essays. So you're just mm -hmm. writing essays on your own topics. Mm -hmm. So it's a, your essay. It's your question. Right. You know, you can't just bullshit a question and turn in. There's some, no like, stupid prompt. Yeah, you don't yeah. get a stupid prompt from the teacher. And if the teacher thinks your question is stupid, they're going to tell you find they're a better question. Because right, right. clearly that's not your real question. That's just right. some dumb thing that you. Man, I got to look. I, I want to look more into this into the school. I'm very curious about it. I highly recommend it. But so, but. And then, and then, so finally, it, mm -hmm. it, you you do your senior thesis, which is even more involved in a bigger paper at the end of the, uh, on the end of your senior year, and that you actually have a forty-five minute oral with three tutors, which is Jeez. open to the public, where people come in and you know, in theory, people in the audience can even ask questions, but it's mm -hmm. just a forty-five minute long oral exam on the paper that you wrote, hmm. um, and it's real it's live right it's, and one of the things that there's helps no is that they it. yeah there's no faking it and they don't need to fake it because they told you to have a question and you had a question and it was a real question so they didn't have to like provide you a fake one yeah so the system works with the right set of incentives to end up with you in this place where you're making those right where you're asking the right questions and you're making those right calls mm -hmm. and the socializing of the schools means that if you don't prepare for class, it's your classmates that are telling you like, Hey, where were you today? What, what was going on? Right. Like, because what did we pay to go to this school for other than to sit in those classrooms? So if you don't show up, you're hurting the rest of us. Right. Like, and if hmm. you didn't do the reading, then, you know, well, but so yeah, it's, it, it, having those incentives in the right structure really allows for when the time comes the learning to actually take place the, the students to be able to be in the place to have the tools to ask the question to really overcome something to really to go be, from one level to, to another. be comfortable to be comfortable and uh maybe we could kind of like end on this note here too but this idea that you know, really, again, it kind of comes back to that environment and, you know, the teacher aspect is you have to be comfortable in the environment to look foolish. You have to be thinking is not a, um, as much as we want to think that it is, thinking out loud and thinking within a group of people is a messy situation. And you're, exactly. you know, and, and it's, it needs to be, we need to create environments for kids to figure out who they are and how they think and what piques their interest and yeah i mean i really want to dig into the to st john's because i mean you've you've sold it essentially um <laughs> I, I mean I highly that is, is that in, that that environment to me just sounds that sounds like everything that i wish i had in my hmm. you know in my undergraduate um not to say that i'm you know totally ungrateful for for my education but um i've had to i've had to definitely 
pursue my own interests along with it to feel like I'm getting the mm. most out of it. But okay. Yeah, I, I'm actually so lucky because that high school that I went to was actually founded by people that went to that college. Crazy. So they had set up a high school program up here huh. in Alaska that sort of mimicked that one. Is that what drove you? Is that yeah. what drove you? To I, I knew which college I was going to day one of freshman year of high school. Um, I applied to one college and got in, got, the, got in and went there. Nice. Um, yeah. On the, on the math note, I want to, mm -hmm. so, and on the math note and the looking silly, I think, or appearing, you know, the ability to, you know, be humble. I think there's an extreme amount and it's not the most important math book. I mean, it might be one of the most important math books. Yeah, let's, but um, uh, Euclid's, Euclid's elements. elements. So this is the foundation of geometry. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it really is. Um, before Euclid, people had been doing geometry, but what Euclid did with the elements was he decided let's, let's take the sort of disparate mechanic structures and let's actually try and figure out given a relatively short list of definitions, common notions, and postulates, um, can you build something great, you hmm. know? And so there's one way in which you can read this, you can just read this book start to finish as start with nothing and a, and a few givens. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the goal is if you've ever seen the the Ptolemy solar system model with the various um, platonic solids holding the various um, different spherical heavenly orbs, uh, um, uh, the idea being at the end of this book, you have the way to compare the ratios of the side lengths of all of the platonic solids to each other, given that they were all um, built inside of the same sphere. Hmm. which is this way of saying like you could compare the five platonic solids to each other. Totally awesome. Yeah. But in another way, this book is so many more things than that. And because of its structure, it literally is, you know, proposition, enunciation. Here's what I'm going to do here. It's like, here's the thing I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to set it up here. Um, and here, uh, and here's how I'm going to prove it. Here's me setting it up. Here's First me proving principles it. Principles driven. Yeah. I just put that I put that on the show notes, so I'll I'll uh, I'll show that to people too, so they can they can dig into it. Yeah, I mean, when Lincoln was running for president, he mm -hmm. picked up the book because he said he did, he needed to become a better critical thinker. Hmm. Th this book is at the core; it will teach you how to think. From there, you can go anywhere. You can go yeah. anywhere, because. And this book can teach, I mean, I have so many little lessons I have learned about education from this book. Hmm. But I mean, this book has, and, and one of them is a little thing. So one of the most famous math problems in some sense has to do with um, whether or not um, you need um, all five of the postulates. So he, he says, let the following be postulated. Postulate one, to draw a straight line from any point to any point. Mm -hmm. That is him handing you a straight edge. Mm -hmm. There's your tool. You can have right. a straight edge. To produce a finite straight line continuously in a straight line, here's another straight edge. Okay, right. okay, okay. To describe a circle with a center and a distance. Okay, uh, protractor compass thingy. Okay, got it. Um, Four, that all right angles are equal to one another. Okay, buddy, you're really laying it out here. Mm -hmm. Got to be clear. And then five, 
that if a straight line falling on two straight lines make the interior angles on the same side less than two right angles, the two straight lines, if produced indefinitely, meet on that side on which the angles are less than the two right angles. Now that's long. Yeah. It's a little complicated. Okay. And it doesn't really fit in with the other ones, right? Right. But at its core, all it's saying is that if you have two lines, uh -huh. uh, I don't know if that one's going to work. Perfect. Okay, two straight lines. Okay, I drew three just so we could do it. Mm -hmm. These two were kind of roughly parallel. This one's obviously a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But if we took the interior angles all on the same side. And we said these two are equal to one another. Those two are equal to one another. Then we're kind of stuck with that being all 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. But this one up here, so given two lines and a line that falls on both of them, if the two interior angles on one side add up to less than two right angles, mm -hmm. then if you continue these lines they will meet on the side on which um, the, the two angles are less than, add up to less than two right angles. So what this is saying is lines that are parallel don't meet. Uh -huh. Lines which are almost parallel meet on the side which has the less angle. Interesting. Okay. For 1,700 years, <laughs> mathematicians had no had had thought about a geometry without that postulate, mm -hmm. but had never developed a consistent geometry without it. Hmm. And for 1700 years, it was basically considered impossible. Right. Until you get Lobachevsky and a couple, well, you get several people doing things and then eventually you get two entire branches of non-Euclidean geometry, which are hyperbolic and elliptical. Yeah, which are based on the geometry of a guy who was friend, like who who, you know, Apollonius of Perga. So uh -huh. here's like it's based off of the ideas from seventeen from two thousand years ago again of math. Right. Just it took it took almost two thousand years for them to for realize. To get it. Snap. Yeah, and so the ultimate goal is then. There's the version of this book where you read it and you accept the givens is true and then you work through it. Right. Then there's the version of the book where you attack it mm -hmm. and you say, now that I have learned this geometry, I'm going to go beyond. And so because of that, you can then go, you can then start from there and then try non-Euclidean geometry eventually. But it offers the sort of grounding right there for me at least, as a model of education mm -hmm. in both forms. Right. The version where you, it's you, encompassing. Know, you, accept, you, you accept something and take it inside of yourself to work with it, and then you, then you really challenge it to really tear away as much of it that you don't need and as much of it is fake. So yeah. there's, it's, 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 it's understanding how those two things react with each other that is key. That is the theme of the conversation summarized in a beautiful way. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip that because that was uh, that was very cool. Perfect, um, Joseph. It was awesome yeah, talking with you, man. Awesome talking to you too, man. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. We should. Awesome. Take care. You too.